Do you feel that in a time when we are more connected than ever, we are drifting away from real human connections, especially to ourselves? I do. Hi, I'm Leticia Latino, and I want to invite you to join me and my very inspiring guests in exploring ways to reconnect to your essence, to your definite purpose, to what makes you tick. Are you ready? Hello and welcome to a new episode of Back to Basics, Reconnecting with the Essence of You. I'm beyond excited and a little bit nervous, if I must say, for this episode because I have someone of such a high caliber as a guest that I'm even like uh, looking forward to, to this interview. I have with me Venerable Lobsang Shunsom, who is a Buddhist nun, a worldwide teacher of meditation and philosophy in Tibetan tradition. She's a founder of Limitless Health Institute, a nonprofit organization that collaborates with other caring organizations in New York City to help people experience the link between their own health and happiness and how they care for others. The workshops she designs and facilitates are used worldwide. Shunzom has been a licensed creative art therapist since college, specializing in dance and movement therapy. She has extensive training in ancient meditation techniques, including a three-year meditation retreat in silence and solitude, which I'm going to ask her about for sure. And Shunzom has degrees in movement uh, therapy from New York University and UCLA and has provided therapeutic services in hospital settings as well as created programs to help substance abusers, incarcerated youth, and families in crisis. Well, it's such an honor, uh, Shunzom, to have you in Back to Basics. How are you doing? Thank you for having me today. It, this is really, um, I'm looking forward to our chat today. Well, I am too, because, and that's why, you know, sometimes I, I shorten the introduction and try to get a lot of it in the conversation, but there's so much here that I feel we can have a whole series on you in all the experiences <laughs> uh, you have lived and, and what you're doing. And uh, obviously a lot of what this podcast is about is about reconnecting to the essence of who we are and what makes us tick. And I'm pretty sure you know what makes you tick and you help others reconnect with the <laughs> essence of who they are. So just because of that, I'm sure that the dynamics of the interview are going to be a little bit different. But, uh, you know, I always start uh, wanting to get to know about the childhood of my guests, like what, where, where are you from? What can you share with us about your early years? I'm from New York City. My family, uh, my grandparents uh, came over as immigrants to New York City. Um, one half came from Sicily and the other half from Ukraine. Oh, wow. Well, we'll get to that. I'm, I'm 100% Sicilian, <laughs> but we'll get to that. <laughs> ah, and they um, moved to the same area in New York City, the Lower East Side, and happened to move into the same building. And that's how my mom and dad met, because they lived in the same building. Oh, wow. How lucky. In the Lower that? East Side of uh, Manhattan. At the time, it was a little, you know, Ukrainian and Sicilian, a uh, little mixed marriage at that time. Mm -hmm. uh, they were Roman Catholics, both. Mm -hmm. And I think that was their connection, that they had the same kind of beliefs and religious backgrounds. So that brought them together more than the culture. 
Interesting. Yeah, it's definitely very different culture. I can attest to that. <laughs> Now with the Sicilian culture. Now, is that the Sicilian? It was your mom's side or your dad's Sicilian side? Sicilian is the dad's side okay. and Ukrainian is mom. Okay, well, that's fascinating. And you still uh, live in New York? I still live in the Lower East Side, although a little bit different area, uh, closer to where NYU is, because uh, that's when I moved to on my own. Uh, and I'm actually still in the same place as I was. In many other areas, I always came back home. <laughs> that is interesting. Well, you know that, I don't know if I cannot speak for the Ukrainian side, but that's a very Sicilian thing also. <laughs> you stay all your life where you were, and, and yeah. it's more about the roots rather than looking where to move for a bigger house or something like that. I don't know. I feel that's how my family is anyway. Yeah, even though I had moved away several times, I lived in Spain, I lived in London, I also lived on the beach in California when I went to UCLA. Somehow the magnet to go back home to your roots just kept kept me coming back. <laughs> I believe it. And you are from, I believe New York City is the greatest city in the world. And I've traveled also quite a bit. And, you know, it's also heart-wrenching to know you are, we are in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic. Oh. So I hope you're safe and your family and friends are safe. But I'm sure it's very different New York City these days. It is very different. Hmm. Yes. yes, it's very challenging here, being one of the biggest hotspots in this uh, coronavirus. I believe it. I believe it. So so you, you basically uh, are a New Yorker. And so those early years, what did you like to do as a child? What were your passions? How did you envision growing up? And, and if there was something that you thought, oh, this is what I'm going to be, is that what you are? Or you kind of change your, your trajectory a little bit? Well, I don't know. Uh, let's see what you think. Um, I grew up in a large family, seven of us. And um, I'm the youngest girl. And then we have two brothers. There's five girls, two boys. And the large community growing up in that kind of an environment, and we are all very different. <laughs> um, but there's something that connects us all. And I believe that that came from my mom, who was an extraordinary, uh, I call her the mother of compassion. Okay. Uh, the love that she, the unconditional love that she had for her children, for the community, is something that we all learned from. Her compassion just to take care of the community beyond her family Um, was always very, very impressive to me how she would, you know, just take care of the people who didn't have food in the neighborhood. We would always gather these great, uh, do like uh, canned food drives and stuff like that. And I think there was a moment where this kind of helping others is something that stuck with me mm -hmm. throughout. And it encouraged me to seek more knowledge of how I can understand how people work together with people and understanding emotions and the thought process. So I got very deep in philosophy and psychology and somehow that just wasn't enough 
And I, since five years old, I was dancing, you know, just as an activity as a child. Mm -hmm. And that, up until college, I did competitions and things like that. And when I was in college studying the mind and psychology, it just wasn't enough. And someone came to me and said, there's this program for dancers who want to be psychologists. Oh, wow, that's how perfect he's done. <laughs> it, it is. So I, I see it more as a progression in my life. And I look for the roots and I look for where I began to uh, take on certain activities and certain ways of thinking as, as a young person mm-hmm. and how that just kept developing. So interesting. I, I sometimes, well, I don't know what it is that I read, but I know it's famous quote where you say, when, when you are ready, the teacher shows up. Yes. And I'm a firm believer on that. Yes. And uh, so I was, that's why I was excited uh, for our conversations when I, they sent me your bio, because I, I'm, I'm Sicilian, as I say, I'm Roman Catholic too. I'm very strong in my faith. But, you know, the Dalai Lama's book are some of my favorites. Like, mm-hmm. I really like Buddhism in terms of the philosophy and all that. And I always have been intrigued. So I say, wow, this is going to be a good conversation. <laughs> Almost <laughs> doesn't feel fair because I, I'm gonna, I know I'm learning already <laughs> from you. So, oh, no, I love it. I love to talk about this. Stuff. Because that curiosity, I think, is in a way curiosity that you felt and, and you weren't afraid of keep exploring it. No, because that's, see, that now goes back to mom. Mom was amazing how she um, encouraged us all to be individuals within the group, you know, within the family, uh, to take our own paths. And her open-mindedness was extraordinary, um, that she didn't, like, you know, didn't hold us back to explore. Yeah, that, that's powerful. I feel the <laughs> same of as, as my dad and your mom was on the Ukrainian side then, but my dad was a Sicilian too, and he's very old-fashioned man and very <laughs> strict and all that. But yet, you know, he allowed me at 17 to go live in, in England for a while. And I look back, I'm like, I don't know how he said yes to those things because <laughs> it's the same thing that you are saying is they realized that they had to propel you into your fullest potential. Yes, And that's admirable. It was really amazing that we had that opportunity because we grew up. I mean, we did not have a lot of money. I mean, we were poor and trying to support all the children in, in, in these kind of activities or things that they were interested in. My mom was just extraordinary how she did that. She would start community groups so that she could involve all the kids. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> a lot of it was in the Girl Scouts. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's that's amazing. And that's, I think, goes a lot to say, now I'm a mom, I have a five-year-old and a nine-year-old, uh-huh. and a lot of us are struggling now in, in these times because we're working from home and right. we have responsibility with the kids and the online learning. And this is some of the discussions, at least that I'm having with my friends. Uh, it's like you feel guilty because you're not doing certain things that you're supposed to do for work. And I, and I found myself telling someone, yeah, but I feel like right now my biggest calling is always being a mom is the biggest calling. But in mm. this particular moment in time, our kids need us more than ever. Oh, yes. It's so, it's actually in... 
hearing a lot of stories from people who um, are not teachers, but their parents mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and the different challenges that they are facing, you know, to uh, keep up with the children's education. It's crazy. It is. And, but the connections that everyone's making uh, with their child's learning is, is really pretty amazing. Yeah, it's definitely a unique time. And, and I, <laughs> I, I read somewhere that there might be more good that yeah. bad in what we think and it's true these kids are are gonna have those memories of being with mommy and daddy you know for mm-hmm. a few months at home and and living the experiences that we are living and uh but yeah it's a struggle and then you hear you hear someone like you that obviously has a lot of wisdom to share and the impact that your mom and your mom's actions had on you Mm-hmm. then it's yeah. even more stress, right? It's a little bit more stress because you say that's the impact I'm having on someone else's life. And you wanted to make it count and you want them to be able to say, if my kids say the same things that you just share with us uh, about your mom, about me, I, I, I would think I made, you know, I made it. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I, it's just, there's so much that I could, talk about how she my mom especially inspired all of us mm-hmm. and also but gave you that uh enough space to go and develop on your own and that to me was one of the greatest gifts and as well the teachings that are core teachings of values that to me is the pressure that i think parents have mostly It's not so much maybe that I can help you with your math homework and I know math. (laughs) Yeah, of course. (laughs) But it's more about the the values that we share with uh, the children. That would be the pressure. Like then I have to be a really good living example for my child or the just even the children of the community, you know, children or just even the people of the community can learn from these very core values of loving kindness and how can I live that? Yeah, well, and, <laughs> and the pressure. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, because that it takes every day waking up and, and, and walking the talk. And yes. or if, if that's how they say and that in that are. But I know that through everything I've read about you, you obviously do that. I want to I want to learn more. And I'm sure our, my audience do. It's about that spiritual path that you started. When mm-hmm. did that happen and how did it happen? Because you you have given a lot back to to, uh, to people and, and that's admirable. I I really don't like sometimes I think about it like when when did this path begin? When I was younger, about three years old, I recall with my mom sitting in a circle of women doing the rosary. They would gather in the neighborhood, all the women with the children that were not yet in school. Mm-hmm. And were, this was a neighborly activity where they would sit and pray together. And I can remember just sitting there, uh, probably doing nothing but uh, making noises and interrupting the prayers. But it was some kind of a community that my mom created that gave us this taste of a spiritual life. It was beyond church. Church we went to, uh, did all the extra classes, you know, uh, that you had to do to progress in your religion. 
but she also created community outside of that. And it interests me in some way. As I was very, very young, I could remember getting on the bike and going and sitting at the uh, nunnery, the Catholic nunnery under the trees and just praying. I learned that it was this moment of reflection that was really important as then I would be able to go back and be with my family or to be with others that I had to sit and reflect by myself and and think about what is my relationship with this spiritual life uh, to experience it myself and not only listen to it. And that was a very... Um, that my parents could give me the freedom to do that was really extraordinary. And that you were having already that kind of interest and, and you were realizing, because I guess now it's uh, when we are opening our minds more to like meditation and people yeah. that we feel, I guess, the lack. And, and honestly, I think that what we are living right now is the world's or the universe response to say, guys, there's something wrong in this picture. <laughs> so, <laughs> like it or not, you're going to stop. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's really interesting. Yeah, it's, it's force, you know, everything that it's important for a lot of people, like the car you drive. I was walking the other day and I say all these fancy cars are stopping their house right now. They're irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the house is relevant, especially if it's paid for, which is, you know, the old fashioned thought like, okay, <laughs> if you have a, a roof over your head, then you're good. Exactly. Uh, but all these other things that normally we think are relevant have become not relevant at all. And so I think there's a kind of redesign of the paradigm. We have to see if it's going to last <laughs> because we tend to, you know, after September 11, I remember going into planes. Everybody was so, no, you cannot go to the bathroom. You cannot cut right. the food with a knife. And right now you go and it's like every, everything is back to normal. Right. So. There's what will we take from this experience that everybody in the entire world is going through? To some degree, it is affecting every single person. Yes. And what can we take from this that's going to propel, propel us further in these, I guess, the core values that we have because they're coming out now. Absolutely. <laughs> strip away the outer activities and this is something that happens in retreat because I've done, um, um, oof, I've done for 10 years, I did one month silent retreats twice a year. Wow. I did that for, for many years. So one in the summer, one in the winter. And then after that, and after some more training, I did three years silent meditation retreat in the desert. That to me blows me away. <laughs> Okay, because first I'm a talker, <laughs> right? So that is hard. But I want to definitely ask you about that. That feeling of first of all, do you feel you're a talker? Like, are you someone that somehow feels the need to talk, or so? Um, I don't feel the need to talk in conversation necessarily. I like to sing. I like to. Mm -hmm. well. <laughs> I I. I think the thing is not so much the talking, but the the need to 
to decide when is it important to say something and when is it not so important? Because talking obviously is, is an amazing way that we can communicate. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's a blessing to be able to talk and share conversation, meaningful conversation with others. Uh, so silence, I remember the first couple of months, at least half a year, I was talking to the uh, insects for sure. <laughs> And I realized, oh, you are still talking. <laughs> wow. it, it, it took me a while because, uh, you know, you, we are so used to speaking. Of course, of course, I imagine. And, and as far as communicating to others, there are so many other ways we can communicate without talking. So the communication was important, not so much the actual speaking. Mm, that, that's a, a very strong point. I like mm -hmm. that. And how many people, more or less, were you with in this in these retreats? I was alone. Oh, okay, okay, okay. There was other people uh, on um, in the area. They were in their own cabins and their own retreats, mm -hmm. but I did not see them. I see. I see. Uh, so it was an area that was that people were taking care of us. Anybody, you know, to get our supplies, to get food. And stuff like that, we had caregivers that would help. And that's something really important when you do a retreat. And as we could see, that's something really important that a lot of the elderly need now. Caregivers to deliver food, to keep them connected. That's something that I didn't realize would ever come in handy. Yeah. That's not true. retreat <laughs> that is true <laughs> that is true but also going back to what is important and your you know i read a, a an article uh, or a blog rather that that you wrote and i loved it and it's talked about how you sometimes you know want to be useful to someone else Mm. And the need to make yourself useful and now knowing, you know, the, the story about how your mom was makes total sense. But mm. still, it's like, this is now what we're called to do. We're called to, you know, the healthcare workers, anybody that's essential. It's really putting themselves at risk for the rest. Right. And staying at home means you're saving lives. So it's, it's really unique that we are put in, in a position where we have to do things for others for a change. And we have to do things for others first. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So much of our sides, especially the frontline hospital workers and some of the other essential workers that are giving us food and so on, they are putting others first. And this is something that we can learn from because how can we do that every day? And how can we do that going forward? Do I always have to think of my needs first? If I give somebody what they need, I can be assured that I will get what I need because I am now planting the seed to see myself give somebody what they need first. That kind of unconditional love or just using even my knowledge, right? Because sometimes we are helping others with knowledge, maybe like many, you know, like all the ones out there trying to find the cure for this uh, COVID disease. Yeah. So... We have put aside our own needs to take care of others now because it's an emergency. It's a crisis. Uh, parents do it for their children, you know, 
almost all the time. Yeah, I was going to say that, but it's because it's, yeah, being a mom. But yeah, I think that's the biggest realization when you have kids is like, never again will you be first. Exactly. Never. Then, <laughs> what does that mean on a daily basis? Yes. And maybe this health crisis has brought us back to that. You know, that that is something that's most important. Yes, I, I, I totally agree. And so you obviously have uh, developed programs that help people achieve a happier life, help, you know, as, as I mentioned, family in crisis, incarcerated youth. Is yeah. there, tell us a little bit about your programs and your institute, anything that you want to share. It was a bunch of us professional um, psychotherapists, social workers, health practitioners from all different kinds of backgrounds. We were working, uh, I was working at the time at Kings County Hospital in the forensic unit. And there were a lot of changing changes going on with, you know, the hospital, Health and Hospital Corporation. And a bunch of us said, hey, let's just get together and, and offer all these things that we're offering here on our own. And that's how we began to create Limitless Health Institute. It was a collaboration of many different health and happiness professionals that came together to help others have access to some amazing programs free of charge. Wasn't necessarily like for charity because we found that the access to this kind of knowledge, people who also had a certain amount of funds didn't have access mentally to these kind of programs. So we like to think of it, it's just increasing access to amazing health and happiness programs, no matter what your background is. Wow, that's very powerful. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, because the, the knowledge doesn't know wealth, doesn't know exactly. social circumstances. Knowledge wants knowledge. And, and sometimes I agree, one of my questions when I knew I was going to interview you was, You know, if you can give advice or suggestions, because me included, but other people I know, sometimes they say, oh, this has always appealed to me. I have one of my best friends. Fortunately, she went through a very nasty divorce, but she didn't have kids. So I know she was always very intrigued like me. And she went to a retreat in Tibet, like she did the whole thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was, every time I look at the pictures, I was so a little bit jealous, a good jealous, right? It's like, oh, if I could just get on a plane and do the same, but I can because I have small kids. Mm. And so you, you wonder, okay, what can I go, where can I go to like get that deep experience in a way or to awaken? Because you see meditation classes and all this, but some wisdom and knowledge, I, I think sometimes is different from just practicing meditation. Uh huh. I don't know. Um, I don't know if I that makes sense. You would need the wisdom and knowledge before practicing the meditation, mm -hmm. and then you'd have to say, "Well, what kind of knowledge would I need before I do the meditation?" Mm -hmm. So, do you have advice, like people that say, "Oh, I want to start. I feel the need to like start getting to know myself better or going into this path." I think first of all, you mentioned something about like parents and children, so I think it's really important that we start at home, not necessarily thinking I need to go somewhere to do this kind of a practice. Now, I may need to go somewhere or to access the knowledge and the wisdom to study from somebody who you admire as a teacher, 
someone that you can look up to so then you could learn from them. So sometimes we do have to travel to that or now <laughs> everything yeah. is online. <laughs> it's a unique moment. No, I agree. Like this moment is bringing knowledge to our home. Yes. Because a lot of people are making programs available for free. Yes. And that's, I think, something very powerful that's happening right now. I think also once you can uh, get some uh, inspiration from some people on the, the things that are offered online, there's a special connection we have to make as well on top of that. When you're learning something so deep, you want to have some contact eventually with this person, let's hope. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Good point. When we, when we start at home, then it, it really begins by just creating a, a small space. A, a small corner in your own home where every time you enter into that space, it's like, this is my moment. This is my space. I am going to sit here, stand here, lay here, whichever, and do what I need to do to develop inside so that I could be a better person. So it's always beautiful to set a little place in your home where you can find the time to sit and be by yourself. Now, I would also include a little cushion or something there for my children when they want to join me. It's not that this is time without my children. This is just time for me to contemplate on these ideas. So if my children want to join me, then that is good. Mm -hmm. yeah, they don't, but they can. So it's uh, people think sometimes it's to remove yourself from those around you to get this kind of contemplative moments. But it's our ability to sit quietly depends on others. That's, and, that's a great point. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to remove myself. When I did three years, by the third year, I had, it's very difficult to explain, but through my practice and my meditation, I had not, I felt closer to, to everybody. <laughs> mm -hmm. because maybe you were you remember their essence or their core and that we feel closer I don't know we we feel closer in we are all the same every single person wants to be happy every single person does not want to suffer and in this way we are equal there is no difference between us Powerful. When I started write, reading about Buddhism, and I know that it's very put there and ingrained in every reading that I, uh, mm -hmm. it's, yeah, it's definitely, you can never hate anybody based on what you just said. That's right. And then there's one thing that when you uh, create that space for yourself to contemplate, to meditate, to give to yourself, to grow, <laughs> so that we can help others better. There's something that is super, super, super important. I only have, say, 15 minutes to sit, you know, to give that time to myself. The time between the day that I sit down today and then I know that I'm going to meditate tomorrow, between today and tomorrow, mm -hmm. that's where your meditation practice is developed, is when I am interacting with you, I have to help you have some peace of mind. I have to help you to be calm. If I am helping you to be anxious, mm -hmm. <laughs> or if I am erupting, 
you when you're talking even or like little actions that we do all day long. When I sit to meditation, I, my mind will be disturbed. I will have interruptions. So it's a mirror of what we do during the day hmm. will only come up when you're sitting quietly. And I think a lot of people are experiencing now that their activities have lessened on the outside. So now they're on the inside. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. And they can see more clearly, maybe. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's a, yeah, it's a reflection, right? That we have to be inside. And what I felt happen initially um, is that a lot of people were looking to do teleconferencing and Zoom and let's have a happy hour. <laughs> <laughs> and I almost like was like, no, I'm a kind of enjoying a little bit of quiet because I guess for work, that's a lot of what I do. A lot of socializing. Mm -hmm. I'm in sales. And now I feel that people finally are getting like, okay, <laughs> we are in this, you know, it's supposed to be quiet time. And even people are getting tired of all these teleconferences and all these sessions. <laughs> so it's interesting to see that tra transform a little bit since we started the self-distancing. Yeah, I think it took a little time for people to adjust to that change of activity level. And then it's many people go into maybe saying, I'm bored now, instead of being able to use that time differently. So there's something about our creative energy that's extremely important when, especially as we're changing uh, the way we interact with others. And where does that creativity, you know, where is it being stored? <laughs> mm -hmm. And how can I tap into my creativity on demand? <laughs> I like that. I like that's a good marketing tagline, creativity on demand. Yeah. Yeah, I and think fear, right? That a lot of people are afraid uh, of tapping into something they never done. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, I think you're right on in, the, in, in terms of there's a lot they could be doing and now they have no excuse for not doing it. <laughs> right. And I, sometimes you say, I don't have time for doing this or that. And now, you, okay, yeah, you could be writing that book that you've always been wanting to write and, yeah. or, or doing other hesitate. things. Why do we hesitate, you know, to maybe take on that project that something you wanted to be, be doing, that book you wanted to write or you know, a uh, project in the house that you wanted to mm -hmm. do. And this is, there's obstacles to meditation that apply to life. And one of the first obstacles to even meditation is, <laughs> I hate to say it, but it's called laziness. <laughs> yes, yes, I'm with you. At the core of laziness is our doubt and our fear. Yes. I, I Have you ever written the book, now that you say that, Outwitting the Devil by Napoleon Hill? No, no, I have not. Oh, that I, is one of my aha books. And uh, it kind of says that a little bit. It's that, you know, that one of the tools, let's say, the, the bad forces, let's call it bad forces, use. Sure. <laughs> it's it's uh, laziness. Like they, um, they know what, how to, what, to, what we are attracted to. Mm -hmm. And to fall into this hypnotic <laughs> rhythm. Well, some one the best way to cut the laziness is for whatever act, whatever you're being lazy not to do that action that you're talking about doing, even if it's just sitting down to uh, think, you know, in meditation. Whatever that is, you have to 
want to do it. You have to see that it has some benefit to yourself and to others. And we use this really uh, interesting way to think about it, like when you were in junior high school and you might have seen somebody that you wanted to, you know, hang out with, you know, have a relationship with, you wanted to be close to them. You wanted to hang out with them. So you already had the desire to want to. And also this person that you wanted to uh, be with, you saw some really good qualities in them. You saw something you like. It could have been just that they were cute. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That always helps. (laughs) Right. It could have been that they were good in sports or whatever our crushes were back then. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Maybe they danced good. I remember. Uh (laughs) Um, (laughs) So then you you, uh, have interest, you have desire. Then there's something about them that you like. And then you imagine, oh, if I'm together with this person and then I would be able to be like them or we could uh, uh, enjoy things together. So I, I wanted, I see qualities I like and then I want to be together with that. So I am going to do everything I can to start hanging out with, the, with this person. You create the ways that you bump into them in the hallway, mm-hmm. you right. ways where you happen to be on the street corner when they're passing by. <laughs> this is what we do in junior high school. Yeah, that's true. And these are the qualities that we have to think about, these steps, before we take the action that we want to do. I want it. I see something that I can, uh, I like about him. I want to be like that. And I also see how it can benefit my life. And we're doing it all the time with everything. We'll do it with a meal of food. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Then why can't we do it with the bigger projects in our lives? It's the same kind of process that we go through in our thinking and in our actions. Well, I Cannot agree more. That's one of the reasons why I decided to put out this podcast because it's by no means I was into any of this or, you know, in, into this industry. But I do feel, and I, and I always tell people, I cannot get credit because I'm normally someone that gets it done. <laughs> if I want, you know, let me do a podcast. And my husband was looking at me like, what did she drink? Like, she's seriously crazy. And, and, uh, and then I ended up doing the podcast. And, and, but I normally don't struggle with that portion. Mm-hmm. Like I, I do it. So sometimes I tell people I cannot take credit because it's not like I'm suffering or really going out of my way to make it happen. So I feel sometimes well, that it's not fair, but I know. Well, you are helping people. Yes, that that Jesus. is. Yes, because this is why it comes at ease for you. Yeah, I know. Because I can you inspire. Are doing. Yeah, it's really amazing. Yeah, and that's why I took it because I know even before the podcast, I would talk to someone. Well, I always joke. I met my husband on Match.com. Uh-huh. And uh, after that happened, and it happened 14 years ago when online dating was very, you know, new. And, um, and, you know, people that have met my husband, they say, oh, my God, you're perfect for each other. And he's, you know, not for nothing. He's a good looking guy, engineer. Like, honestly, he's like perfect. <laughs> and, yeah, so and, 
And then people don't believe that I met him online because for some reason there's this stigma that everything that's online, it's not good or, you know, <laughs> and so that shocked them. And after I started talking about, about it, because some people hide the fact that they met online and, and I don't, I actually am, I'm happy because it's a miracle, you know, mm -hmm. that we found each oh, other. Okay. And I have like four friends of mine that have found their husbands online after, you know, like me telling them, you made, maybe this happens for you. Just put, put it out there. So there's a joke that we tell, like if you go online uh -huh. to meet your partner, yes. or do I go to the corner, uh, a network at, um, you know, with my colleagues so I could meet a partner, mm -hmm. which one do I choose? How can I really meet somebody that I, that I want? And this goes back to the idea that why do I want that relationship? Let's say I'm lonely and I want a relationship. So then if I help other lonely people in the world, then I am seeing people who are lonely get company. Then now I will have developed the perception for myself to see me having getting someone who could keep me company. So if I want a relationship, then it doesn't matter if I go online or to the restaurant or to the networking party. It all depends on me giving someone company and helping somebody who is lonely having a companion. And then I will find my companion. This is what we call planting seeds. Number one, what is it that I want? Then number two, think about somebody who I can help that wants the same thing as I do. And as we know right now, <laughs> everybody wants the same thing right now. Absolutely. So now we have great opportunity. I mean, not for relationship, but for our own health and happiness. And then the third is actually going out and helping them at least one hour a week. Mm -hmm. We dedicate and and that action to number four is where you sit back and in that little space that you created at home and you rejoice and you just be happy about what you did for somebody else. And this waters the seed in our mind to flower into me finding my companion. Beautifully said. It's uh, so powerful, your words. And if I may add, because I'm a firm believer in, 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 in everything you've said, you know, sometimes people, uh, even people I brought on the podcast, they, they ask, I find one of the impediments is that people ask, well, but what's, what's in it for me? Like, why are you doing this? Like people, and I've said this before in the podcast, people mm -hmm. ask me, why are you doing this? What do you, what do you want to gain out of it? And, mm -hmm. and they get crazy when I say, I don't want to gain anything. It just brings me joy to have great mm -hmm. conversation because now someone that didn't know about you, I didn't mm -hmm. know about you and you came into my life. And now other people that didn't know about you, I'm sure things you've shared in these podcasts, they're going to find beneficial. And I already start getting emails about people. Oh, my God, this, this thing this guest said or something like value. I will say, though, it's cool that we don't necessarily want anything in return. This is great. But in when we talk about um, me taking an action, like helping someone who's lonely, uh, I am going to meet somebody who helps me not to be lonely. 
you cannot stop the force of that coming back to you. You can say, I don't want, I don't need. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> but it's going to come to you anyway. <laughs> yes. And, and I want, once I, I mean, I don't meditate per se, but I read the Bible every night before I go oh. to bed, a little versicle, right? To, to keep no. me grounded. And uh, I was having this issue, right? With planting the seed because I'm, I like to plant seeds and I don't, I don't put a lot of thought into what's happening. And it, it's, I now no. forget which verse it was, but it says something about the fact that you planted the seed and don't see it growing every day doesn't no. mean it's not growing. That's right. The, the fruit will be there at some point and the fact and it takes time and you're not seeing it grow every day and you and you don't think about it but one day you'll see it <laughs> uh -huh. now this is key you say you don't think about it the key to helping it to grow faster is the thinking about it oh great so you are replaying in your mind in this, we call it a uh, coffee meditation because it's a meditation where you just sit with a cup of coffee or a cup of tea or whatever, and you sit, you relax. You're not eyes closed, sitting in lotus position or anything. You just sit back and you relax. You could stare at the wall and, or whatever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the point is that you're thinking about the goodness that you have done that day and the goodness that other people around you have done. And this kind of thinking, imagine laying down before you go to bed and thinking of the good stuff you did and how when you go into your sleep, how that just stays in the mind throughout that time. You're just spent hours at, at the end of the day with good thoughts in your mind. It's going to help push out all the worries and all the other concerns. But this watering of the seeds, thinking about it. So when I wake up, guess what's going to be on my mind? The goodness that I can do today. Well, I, I can tell you, you just give me a nugget of wisdom that it's going to serve me a lot because that's definitely something I don't do too often. <laughs> the, uh, we must recall the kindnesses we do. Yes, yeah. that, but if there's something like, a, I don't know, sometimes it doesn't feel right, but I totally agree with you. Yeah. Uh, I, I, it makes yeah. sense. It makes sense. <laughs> it doesn't feel right because we're getting it confused with, with the wrongful pride or something mm -hmm. that it, it should make me look like a better person or something if I'm being happy about this. It's just developing the patterns of thinking and of our thoughts that if we could focus more on the loving qualities of somebody than the, the things we do not like, mm -hmm. <laughs> so we're kind of training the mind of how to interact with others and just how do we think about others if I'm being happy about the goodness that I did or someone else did at the end of the day then when I see them face to face today I'm going to see some goodness in them wow this I know I mean I could talk with you for weeks so I have appreciated this conversation so much and I definitely want to give you an open mic to share anything else you want to share of your future plans or anything you're working on that excites you, yeah. uh, consider an open platform. Well, Limitless Health Institute right now, we have several programs that we're, we've just initiated uh, based on the uh, a health crisis right now. 
And we're doing some special programs for the uh, hospital workers, uh, giving them not only some meditations, but also to help them deal with some of the trauma and some of the mm, oh, the emotional <laughs> yes. uh, things that are happening for them right now as they're trying to do such great work. So we have a, a care, celebrating caregivers program that we've opened up now for hospital frontline workers. And the other program, the Inner Essentials that we're doing at Limitless Health Institute is a meditation program. We've done some fantastic videos of uh, some meditations that will help with anxiety and fear and the uncertainty of this time and what we can do. And that leads people into a in-depth training on meditation if they wish. Wow. And, and then we're hoping we do this beautiful song connects us in the high schools with students that help uh, manage behaviors and for kids to express themselves through music, poetry, uh, and theater. We're developing something online for the summer youth, you know, for the summer for the youth here in New York City because they have shut down most of the summer programs yes. now yes. to keep the social distancing. So we're trying, we're developing that as an online course for the summer. And we have some community centers that are interested. And that's just our new programs now. <laughs> that sounds like yeah. uh, something that is going to help everybody move forward. And definitely consider me an ambassador. I'm going to be promoting your institute a lot. And I'm going to be putting all your links on the show notes when the podcast airs. So everybody listening out there, make sure you check that out because the links will be there for you to access it at any time. And those meditations are right on the website and they're free. And you just pick on and you use them. It's very easy. Awesome. Well, Shunsum, <laughs> uh, uh, you know you have an open invitation for this this podcast. Anytime we can do a session only on your mom because I'm curious to, I, I, I was oh. like, I would love to learn more about her. Oh, I would love to do something on my mom she was extraordinary well we definitely then we'll do it i think a lot of women out there will be equally inspired women and men but i think uh you know the importance of of the mother figure and it's, it's sometimes disregarded and i think it's a great moment to to bring it up to be relevant yes my mom when i decided to become ordained as a buddhist nun and since i came from a, a matriarch of a family because it was so uh, it was all about women. Yes. <laughs> My brothers didn't count. Uh, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I came from the Sicilian side of things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when I told my mom that the, she said to me being such a mother, she says, "Oh, okay. So you are not going to have children and you're not going to have that family <laughs> life, then it is up to you to take care of all the children in the world." Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is my mom, and this is what I have, have to live up to. Well, but it sounds to me with all the programs and all you're doing that you're definitely living up to that expectation. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, I really thank you for your time. This has been very, very insightful and enjoyable for me. And uh, I'm blessed to have met you. I wish you all the best in all the initiatives you're leading. And you too. Thank you so much for taking you know the time to air something like you know like this and all the other 
beautiful podcast that you do. Oh, thank uh, you so much. Also. Thank you and for until the-, the next time because I know there will be another. Okay, great. <laughs> Take care. Look forward to it. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.